0: Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. Hi, and welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Victoria.
1: And that's Christina. Uh, Today we are going to almost return to my standby of doing some obscure medieval English saint. Woo! Uh, But not quite. Uh, So today we're going to talk about Joseph of Arimathea. Wait. (laughs) Why? I will tell you why you think why he sounds familiar <laughs> in a bit. You will find out. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> I, I know exactly why.
0: <laughs> it's uh, giving me um, Monty Python vibes, but I don't know why. I can't
1: place why. <laughs> of
2: course, Joseph of Arimathea.
1: Yes, we will. We will. I will tell you why in a bit. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Joseph of Arimathea, uh, he is probably a real person. Unlike most of our stories. Um, okay, good. The thing I'm that starting. people mostly know about him good. these days is that he was the person who took Jesus down from the cross, um, which is like the main thing oh. that he's famous for okay. and the main thing I think most people really know about him today. Uh, so he's very old timey, obviously, if he was alive yeah. when Jesus died. Uh, So, of course, we don't know exactly when he was born, but, you know, if you assume he was an adult when Jesus died, Mm -hmm. he's presumably born around or just before the year zero. You know, just like Jesus and all the apostles. He's presumably a middle-aged kind of guy. Uh, Don't know much about where he was born. You know, he was in Jerusalem when Jesus died and people didn't used to travel, so he presumably is from that area uh he's called joseph of arimathea because the records say that he's from a town called arimathea uh but unfortunately arimathea is one of these towns that only appears in the bible ah yes uh so but- they're not totally sure where it was there must be so many of those yeah i think there are um the there are, like, other sort of side references to Arimathea from, like, outside the Bible, other historical records, uh-huh. but they don't all agree, so they're not, they yeah. like, don't know. Uh, the general consensus seems to be that it was in Judea, probably pretty close to Jerusalem, like, not okay. too far away. Uh, there's one record from a Roman historian named Eusebius, hmm. maybe, Eusebius, uh, <laughs> which was written around the year 300. Um, and another record by a French theologian called Petrus Comister in the 1100s. And they both say that Arimathea was like the local or Jewish name for a Roman town called Ramatheum Zophim. Okay. Um, and that town is about 10 kilometers or six miles north of Jerusalem. So like a suburb. Not, so not too far. Um, pretty close. Okay. Yeah. A Byzantine map from the 6th century has a town called Arimathea marked on it. Huh. Um, which is about 45 kilometers or 28 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So again, like not too far. um, Same general direction, sort of suburby area. area. That town is now, uh, now it's called uh, Bani Zayed Al-Kharbia. Okay. So it's not called Arimathea anymore. Um, And then in the Middle Ages, the European crusaders, for some reason, thought that Arimathea was in a town called Ramla, uh, which is also about 45 kilometers or 28 miles sort of west-northwest of Jerusalem. So all yeah. the records are like sort of north half of Jerusalem somewhere. Up there Within somewhere. like a walking distance, you if. know, a day's walking distance, so not too far away. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, he was in Jerusalem. He's probably from that general area. Okay. Uh, obviously don't know anything about his family or his birthday or his parents or his yes. child or anything right <laughs> you <laughs> jump from birth to jesus to jesus uh, as you do <laughs> <That's> uh, <it. laughs> so he appears in all four gospels Kay. the gospels are the only place he appears in the bible so he doesn't um crop up again in acts or anything okay he's just kind of like a one-off mention in each of the four gospels okay each gospel says sort of slightly different things about him but they don't vary that much uh-huh. uh so we will run through a couple of them uh so like i said his main thing is that he is the person who took jesus down from the cross so he only ever appears like in the passion and around the passion of christ right uh so in matthew chapter 27 uh matthew just describes him as a rich man from arimathea oh well he's rich he's like, good thank you uh <laughs> Uh, Matthew says that Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for, like, asks if he can take Jesus's body, and Pilate's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, Pilate doesn't care. the story, yeah, Pilate doesn't care. <laughs> uh, and Matthew says that Joseph donates his own tomb to Jesus, so yes. Jesus is buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Right,
0: and that's the, another implication that he's wealthy, because you wouldn't have a yeah, he has a like nice a rock hewn tomb, yeah, yeah. That also uh, might so suggest what, though that he might be a little bit older.
1: Yeah, probably more like in his fifties. So he's probably preparing born before for zero. Death. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> has like the money for that and stuff. So yeah. He's, yeah, he's probably older than the disciples, but you know, not still not that old. How old? Unknown. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, he could be eighty, he could be fifty. It's yep. you know, who knows. Um in Mark, uh Mark says kind of similar things. Uh he says that Joseph of Arimathea, quote, is a respected member of the council.
0: What does that mean? Uh,
1: so they they think it means that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Oh. Uh, so he's part of the high Jewish council that sort of turned Jesus over to the Romans. Um, Mark, as well as what, what, but, Luke but, but, <laughs> and, Je- and that, John, I think Mark, Luke, and John okay. all say that he's part of the Sanhedrin, um, but that he voted against okay. turning Jesus over. I was going to so, like, say. he's one of the dissenters.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah, uh, so they all three say that. Sometimes they also describe him as, like, secretly a disciple of Jesus. He's, like, following uh, around in the background, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so, yep, so all three of all four of them are like, yes, he goes to Pilate, asks for his body. Pilate's like, yeah, sure. Um, sometimes they describe him as pr- also providing the linen shroud. Like, he goes out and buys right. a nice linen shroud. Yeah. Um, and then he is the person who, like, physically takes him Jesus off. down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes he is accompanied by others. So in John, he is accompanied by a guy named Nicodemus, who is also like a sort of lurking in the background disciple. He's not a real disciple. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it says in John, it says that Joseph and Nicodemus like take Jesus down and they do the embalming and stuff. Yeah. um, And put him in the tomb. Okay. Uh, An interesting cultural, social, historical note about this Uh is that they think, like, modern historians and anthropologists think that in this time and place among Jewish people, the tradition, uh, even for executed people, would have been that, like, the senior male member of their family would be responsible for providing their burial and, like, dealing with the aftermath of execution because the state's not going to do it. Like, your family has to do it. Okay. Uh, And they think, like... It would, like, generally be, like, your father or your grandfather, like, you know, the highest ranking the yeah. patriarch of your
0: family. Or your brother or something.
1: Yes. And I guess historians think that possibly Joseph, as in Joseph's Jesus' dad, mm-hmm. is already dead by the time Jesus dies. Yeah. Which is why he's never mentioned as, like, yeah. being around. Because Mary's mentioned as being there. Yeah. Because Mary says she's there, but they never mention Joseph, which yeah. makes people... Uh, dad Joseph, which yeah. makes people think that he had already died. And so sometimes some people kind of think that maybe joseph of arimathea taking on this role is a suggestion that he is some kind of relative of, of joseph jesus
2: mm.
1: oh yeah either of joseph or oh yeah mary right so just somehow uh, like a senior male relative of jesus who would like takes like step in because jesus's dad is no longer available right. Makes um, sense. which is interesting Mm-hmm. huh okay um, I also, <laughs> I was reading about this. Well, that would so hang on.
0: That would also make sense from a because Mary was there. Like, why would Mary mm-hmm. let a random person that rando. she doesn't trust
1: take, take her son down. down? Yeah,
0: yeah, and take him somewhere, and you know, like unless mm-hmm. she knew him already, because he's part yeah. of her either her family or Joseph's family.
1: You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no like direct evidence that he is related to them, but right. like social historically, it like makes sense yeah. that he could be. Uh, maybe distantly, but like right. somehow yeah. related, you know? It also
0: makes sense. Yeah. Because like if Mary hadn't been there, yeah, nobody's there to stop them, you know? Mm-hmm. But Mary was there. So like, why? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. And, like, why wouldn't a disciple or someone else do it? Right. You know, somebody more closely. Um, so that's just an interesting social historical note. Okay. Uh, uh, so when we'll I was reading we'll... about this, I also got kind of sidetracked... (laughs) Uh-huh. Because they always, when they talk about the crucifixion, they always kind of like vaguely reference that there are women about. About, yeah. Like, they'll be like, the Marys and some other women are, yeah. you know, are crying or they like help embalm yeah. bomb the body or they like do yeah. some stuff. And so I was poking well, they around to figure everything. out like, yeah. who the women are. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah, it's ma- his mom, Mary. Like, yes. It's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Yes. yes. And then they're always just like, and other women. Her. And I'm like, who other, what other women? <laughs> so I did some research. Um, and apparently... In different Gospels and parts of the Bible and stuff, they are referenced with more and less detail. Uh So sometimes they describe better who the female entourage is. Right. And I guess it it might include Mary's sister. So, like, the Virgin Mary's sister. So Jesus' aunt. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, also, some of the apostles' moms and wives. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Because they probably were Um, married, so. Yeah, because they had to come along. So not just their wives, but also some of their moms, they think, which is interesting. That is interesting. Uh, possibly their sons are like responsible for them. Like if yeah. dad has died, you're responsible mm-hmm. for your widowed mom, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting, you know. Yeah. It's like who are all these people? It's like a big a big entree yeah. of women who you a never hear about. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's the women. Uh, the only other real like. It's not even really a hard reference to Joseph of Arimathea (laughs) in the Bible, but like a soft reference to Joseph of Arimathea. um, An (laughs) illusion. Yes. Some Christian scholars and historians uh, think that Joseph of Arimathea's actions at the crucifixion fulfill one of the Old Testament prophecies.
2: Ooh. Uh,
1: And the prophecy comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. Uh-huh. Quote, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Oh. Uh, So what that means is he is Jesus. Yeah. And it means that he, you know, he gets crucified even though he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, And they had traditions about like where you were and were not allowed to bury criminals uh-huh. in this time period, because they felt like if you put them with the rest of your deceased relatives in, like, the normal family plot, that it was kind of dishonoring the other yeah, people, people to be buried with a criminal. Yeah, um, Which is part of the reason that, like, an empty tomb is, yeah. like, a reasonable... Like, why isn't he in Mary's family plot, you know? Because yeah. he's, like, you know, not supposed to be doing... That. Uh, yeah. And some people think that the rich... he's ba- Being buried with a rich man is a reference to, like, this is a rich man's tomb is, like, donated yeah. for Jesus, yeah. which is... It's not nothing, but it's not great. (laughs) Yeah. Because also, like,
0: the guys who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they would have known that prophecy. Yes, they would have heard this already. So they could have called him a rich man. Although, the fact that he has a whole ass tomb doesn't imply that That he is wealthy. at least,
1: like, middle class, yeah. And if he's actually uh, part of the Sanhedrin, he must be, like, high rank and well off. Yeah. like.
0: There is a physical thing that indicates wealth here, which is... The yeah, two. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, right. So that's that's it, really. Yeah. Like, that is the sort of factual Great. part of Joseph of Arimathea. Great. Uh, and, you know, obviously this could all be legend, too. There's no way to yes. prove that this is true. But, like, there's no reason to think it's not true, particularly. Yes. You know, Jesus bumped into other rando people. It did happen. Yes. Thought. For so sure, you know. So yes. another
0: reason he wouldn't... They wouldn't have put Jesus in, like mary's family to marie's and joseph is because they're not from there
1: yeah they aren't but like why wouldn't you they're not from that far away either that's like true. take his body home and take him home you know
0: yeah
1: um so yeah that's where his real bible-y references stop right uh and everything else from there go is legend cult crazy Great. expansion middle ages crazy people like Love everyone it. else <laughs> yeah yeah Uh, So he doesn't appear in the rest of the Bible, but he does appear in some of the Apocrypha. Okay. Which is, as we have talked about, good and bad. You know, Uh it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true, Uh but it also doesn't mean that it is true. Uh So you just got to take it with a grain of salt. Yep. Uh, So one of them is that he, he appears just like with varying levels of detail in different parts of the um, Acts of Pilate is sometimes also called the cycle of Pilate or the pilot cycle okay uh and this is not a single like unified document it's a name for just like a class of writings that were either written about Pilate or possibly by Pilate, okay about the things he did and thought around the crucifixion of jesus and just um okay so letters he wrote to various people conversations he had like what he was feeling about this huh. it's just like what what was going on from pilot's point of view that's cool um, and it's just there's a you know there's a big chunk of documents that are all supposedly by or about pilot right um, which get grouped into this yeah cycle of pilot
0: so those ones i get like because if they're actual letters do, so we aren't sure that they're by pilot
1: yeah it's just yeah. like anything else that yeah. like the first reference usually crops up too late which doesn't mean that it's not by Pilate, but yeah. it also okay. doesn't mean that it is by Pilate. Yeah, okay. Um, So, the Acts of Pilate, like I said, it's a, a big group. It's not a single thing. Uh, so, they, Joseph of Arimathea appears in a couple documents that are part of the Acts of Pilate. So, one of the things he appears in is called the Gospel of Nicodemus, which is generally, like, part of the Acts of Pilate. Okay. Uh, the Gospel of Nicodemus was supposedly written by Nicodemus, which is the guy who maybe helped Joseph take Jesus down from the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicodemus is just described as like an associate of Jesus, with like no further <laughs> information. <It's> just <laughs> some lawyer. guy that Jesus knew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so Nicodemus appears in the Gospel of John, but otherwise is not really mentioned in anything canonical. Okay. Uh, some of the non-canonical distri- stuff describes him as a pharisee and also a member of the sanhedrin so like this is how he knows joseph of arimathea because they're both on the sanhedrin right you know sure tracks yep uh so in this gospel of nicodemus um they give a little bit more information about uh joseph of arimathea uh so I'm going to read you this bit from the Gospel of Nicodemus okay. uh, and just like all of the gospels it has been translated a bunch of times so you know, yeah words change a little but okay. quote and likewise Joseph also stepped out and said to them why are you angry against me because I begged the body of Jesus behold I have put him in my new tomb wrapping him in clean linen and I have rolled a stone to the door of the tomb And you have acted not well against the just man because you have not repented of crucifying him, but also have pierced him with a spear. So maybe Uh it was Nicodemus' tomb. Possibly, yep. Could be. Um, So this is just, you know, reinforcing kind of the same kind of stuff you get from the Gospels. Uh He either provided the tomb or knew of the tomb or something. He provides the linen. He helps get him down. You know, he does all this stuff. The other, the Jews who are shouting and tormenting jesus are not pleased by him helping him out Uh uh-huh uh this gospel of nicodemus also goes on to say later that joseph of arimathea is one of the people who like formally testifies in front of the chief priests that jesus had uh ascended from the like risen from the dead and ascended Uh into heaven yeah so he goes from sort of lurking in the background while jesus is alive to kind of a more formal apostles apostle yeah after jesus has died um fun fact about this gospel of Nicodemus. Okay. Uh, it also contains apparently a pretty detailed description of Jesus's descent into hell during the three days. Um, and like rising out the righteous who had gotten stuck in hell before he was born.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Cause that has yeah. theoretically happened. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. There are some stories that that's right. where
1: Jesus was during those three days. He went to hell to like, you know, carry the burden of being in hell. and But also, the but also and he
0: was appearing to people.
1: Yes. Well, he's a busy man. Just,
0: <laughs> just bopping back and forth.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. I think sometimes they also say he was in purgatory rather than hell.
0: Yeah, because it's um, not. It, yeah, those people got stuck in purgatory because there was yes. no saving. Because yeah, yeah, they yeah.
1: couldn't have gone to heaven before him. But this, right. the Gospel of Nicodemus, specifically puts so him scary. in hell rather oh. than a um, purgatory. But that might be just because purgatory is like a later concept and i haven't gotten that far yet okay yep uh this gospel of nicodemus is also the oldest form of the legend of saint veronica who we have talked oh about. yeah yeah yeah. Who another wipes one who jesus's face might didn't exist not probably not have existed <laughs> yep so that's fun uh unfortunately okay. this gospel of nicodemus uh despite being theoretically written by nicodemus dates to the fourth or fifth century mm, at the earliest so you that know, doesn't three to four hundred years later yep <laughs> So it is what it is. Not at all. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's another writing from this cycle of Pilate, or the pilot uh, Acts of Pilate, okay, um, which is called the narrative of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, you know, it is again. It provides it provides a little more information about Joseph of Arimathea. Apparently, this narrative is un- quite unpopular and always has been because. Oh. Uh, I guess it's really anti-Semitic and like really goes hard on blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. And it's just like, That's you know, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, so it's not one of the, this narrative is not one of the more popular things, but it does give a little more information about Joseph of Arimathea. Uh-huh. Uh, and so in this story, it says that he requests Jesus's body and they agree to give it to him. But then the Jewish community are, you know, they're angry at Jesus. So they're angry at people trying to help Jesus. Uh-huh. And so when he goes to try to take Jesus's body down, they arrest him and put him in jail. Okay. Uh, and then while he is in jail, they say that he is, you know, they're not giving him food or water, but he has the Holy Grail with him. And it is, like, <laughs> s- sustaining him. Like, it's it's sprouting water and food and stuff okay. for him. Which is fun. Sorry, I did not expect uh, the Holy Grail to make it an appearance yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. That's the fun fact. Oh, um, we
0: love the Middle Ages.
1: <laughs> yep. And then they, so he's in jail for a while. Uh, and then after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus goes to the prison and sort of like okay. in a flash of light destroys the prison and lets Joseph of Arimathea out. And then Joseph goes along with Jesus to like do his I Have Risen stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but again, it's an apocrypha. It was written. Yeah. Uh, they think. The earliest definite record is from the 12th century, so a long time later. Yeah, um, but some historians think it could be as early as the 5th century, but still, way too late.
0: Well, I, I have good. I have always wondered, like, with so much, like, everybody was riled up enough to kill someone, mm-hmm. and after he's dead, like, just all of that just stops, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
1: Well, I don't think that it does stop. I think you just don't hear that much about it. Because I think the... We talked about this a little when we were talking about Peter. About how they all get, like... All the apostles get picked off, like, one by one. Yeah. Over the next, you know, 30 years. And I think some of them get picked off
0: pretty much immediately. immediately,
1: Yeah. Yeah, Like, not, you know, real real fast. And then I think even the ones who don't get picked off, they kind of are in hiding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of forever. I just always thought it was odd that they, like... That they let him... Take the body and stuff, and that like, like immediately after I think there isn't more about them having a lot. I mean, they are still in hiding. Like that's where that whole.
1: So I think the thing about him, them letting him have his body is that they reuse the crosses. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like they need to get rid of it. They're like, yeah. you need to clean this off. Like get rid of the body. Yeah. We need it for the next. The and if you thing. don't, we're just gonna um, throw it in a
0: pit with else. And we're else. just gonna dump it somewhere.
1: Yeah. So like, if you care about this person, like take come it. now because we're gonna get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is okay. also how when we talked about Peter, about how if you just left him there, the Romans would cut their feet off and Oh yeah. Um, to, right, to get rid of the body faster, which obviously your family would not do. Right. Like your family right. would put in the time to pull the nail out. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> OK. OK. This makes more sense. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so Joseph of Arimathea also appears briefly in the Acts of Peter, which is the same one that you get the crazy Simon Magist stories where he's flying around
2: right
1: <laughs> um, the acts of Peter yeah. they also mention Joseph of Arimathea but they don't really say anything new they just say that he was a, an associate of Pilate some guy who knows Pilate which is not very helpful alright <laughs> uh, he appears kind of vaguely in reference um, by various writings by early Christian historians again it's often just like a vague sideways reference to like he was rich or he was in the Sanhedrin yeah. or like you know some no new information really he was there um mhm Uh, And the other sort of old-timey reference to him that gives actually some new information is by a guy named John Chrysostom. Chrysostom. Something like that. Okay. Uh, He was the Patriarch of Constantinople around the year 400. um, And in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 10, there is a reference to God sort of like selecting 70 or 72 new apostles like apostles apostles okay. to go out and spread the word again after jesus's death yeah. yeah which is how you get people like paul and mark and these apostles apostles that we talked about last right. time yeah they're uh you know traditionally part of this group of 70 who get selected by God to go help the original twelve do stuff. Gotcha. Um, and so in, the, around the year 400, this John Chrysostome guy says that Joseph of Arimathea is one of the 70 apostles appointed by God after Jesus died.
0: Okay. That tracks.
1: Like, sure. Sure. <laughs> that's fine. Yep. You're the guy to take him off the cross. Seems kind of mm-hmm. like an
0: obvious choice.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, that's, like, that's all the old-timey historic references to who joseph actually was and the okay. things he maybe actually did in and around jerusalem uh, and then from there the middle ages people just like really go off the rails great <laughs> uh so weirdly in the very early christian records like pre-constantine like mm-hmm. before even constantine turns up in like the year 300 330 or whatever even before that there are christian references that the Britons have already accepted Christianity. That doesn't seem right. Nope. <laughs> it's not. Because, the you know, there are Romans in Britain, but they're not Christian yet. So they haven't brought Christianity to Britain yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have these various stories. They're mentioned by various people. There's a guy, a historian named Tertullian, who was a early Christian author who lived in Carthage around, uh, around the year 200. Um, he has a fun he name. Says He does have a fun name. Uh, (laughs) He says that the Britons have already accepted Christianity in his lifetime. So he died in 220 and he's like, they've already accepted Christianity. Uh, They give no evidence of how they, why they think that they give no evidence of how the Christianity got there.
2: Uh (laughs) They're
1: just like, Apparently it comes up, like, not, not a lot, but, like, sort of more than once in old-timey records that the Christians, the Britons have already accepted Christianity. And there's, like, no other historical
0: record of that. No. Right, no. Yeah. I mean,
1: there's nothing in England or yeah, yeah saying that that happened. No, there's not. Okay. Uh, it's just, like, mentioned offhandedly by several scholars, which is odd. <laughs> um, it's so, just, like, one
0: guy told them that, and they're like, oh. Yeah,
1: and they're just like, okay, and they don't Google it. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> so, this this early writings and uh, kind of springs into this ongoing tradition that Christianity sort of predates the Roman empire in Britain. Okay. Um, and that early disciples were there, were in Britain, like pretty soon after Jesus died. Yeah. Is sort of that initial push of proselytization right. Yeah. Uh, so there's this guy named William of Malmesbury, who mm. was a, I think he's a monk, like a monk historian. Okay. Uh, and he lived in England, uh, around the year 1125. Okay. And he is talking about, like, the history of the church in England and stuff. And he references some story that he knows that says, quote, no other hands than those of the disciples of Christ erected the church at Glastonbury. So at Glastonbury, is there which church? is a town in southwest England, yeah, there's a fucking massive abbey and a cathedral and it's like one of these very ancient yeah. it's like, um, canterbury it's like a very ancient very old christian church yeah okay um so you know they have a fucking massive abbey and a giant cathedral yeah um, they also have a music festival which is what they're famous for now but mm. that's not what we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the cathedral so it's like it's like one of the big like if you want to see an ancient middle ages cathedral yeah glass is one of them okay so it is like it is one of the older churches in england like that's it's all not fine. old it's enough a big deal. it's not old enough to have been erected by the disciples of christ no no, definitely not. Um, but this is clearly like a thing that people think in the Middle Ages for some reason. Okay. Uh, with no with no real evidence. Is it old um, enough even
0: for the guy who wrote about it? Yes.
1: Okay. So in 1125, there definitely was a okay. cathedral and an abbey and stuff there. Yeah, that, um, but nice. it's yeah. But that's still a thousand years too late, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. too late. Okay. Uh, so for some reason, so this, despite the fact that these references don't specify how Christianity gets to England, Uh somehow Joseph gets linked to that, and they're like, it's not just any disciple of Jesus that brought Christianity to England. For some reason, it's Joseph specifically. Okay. Um, And the legends kind of spiral and they start to say that Joseph (laughs) built the church, the first church in England, i.e. the one at Glastonbury.
2: Um,
1: And (laughs) then, which I don't even think is the first church in England. I think probably the ones in Canterbury, Canterbury. somewhere more south, more central. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More likely to be first. Uh Um, But for some reason, that legend spirals even further to say that it was the first church in the world. (laughs) <laughs> the one at Glastonbury. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, no, no, certainly was not. Yep, yep, and this, the legend just keeps spiraling. Like all of the uh, Middle and so East then, would, like
0: to, would beg to differ on that. Yep,
1: <laughs> yep. So that just keeps, it keeps spiraling, and it goes from Joseph of Arimathea brings Christianity, you know, as a disciple after Jesus has died in the next, you know, 30-ish years. Uh-huh. It goes from that to... Joseph of Arimathea came while Jesus was still alive and brought Jesus with him. Ah. And that Jesus is a, when Jesus was a kid or a teenager, he like brings Jesus to Britain and they do some stuff, (sighs) Uh, which is crazy. Crazy. Um, But some of these records suggest that Joseph of Arimathea is a relative of Jesus, possibly his uncle.
0: Okay, which does Which track. kind of
1: goes back to the, like, yes. socio-historical, like, right. yes, this person might have actually been a relative, because why else would he be in charge of the
0: burial? Right. It's one of those uh, things where it's, like, it's culturally obvious, so they don't write it down.
1: Yeah. Uh, so some of these stories suggest, sometimes they say that he's Jesus's uncle, as in, like, Mary or Joseph's brother. Right. Um, oh, or Mary. But I think, more often, I think more often they think it's Mary's uncle, okay. so Jesus's great uncle.
0: Which would track for him common. being older.
1: Preparing yeah, for and death. And, like, the patriarch. Yeah. yeah. He's, like, a grandfather-level person. Right. Uh, to Jesus. Uh, so, in these stories where they say that a child or teenage Jesus come to England, um, they always stick to, like, southwest England. Okay. is Glastonbury is. Okay. Uh, and they say that they, you know, he, Jesus and Joseph of Arimathea, like, traipse around and do various things. And one of the things they say that they do is that they visit St. Michael's Mount, which okay. you and me have been to. yeah
2: yeah, <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> It's a island off the coast of Penzance in Cornwall where they have built a, there's like a medieval castle there like a stately home and it's just like Mont Saint-Michel and Where's that? France, I think Isn't there a St. Ah in Cornwall? Uh, where the, it's, yeah, it's separated by tidal flats so some parts of the day you can walk across the uh, tidal flats to get there and some parts of the day when the tide is up you need a boat Boat? But, yep, so there's this legend that he, child-slash-teenage Jesus, was with Joseph of Arimathea in that part of Britain, southwest Britain, okay. which is silly. Um, but that <laughs> that legend of Jesus having been in England pros- probably as a child mm-hmm. uh, is still actually pretty well-known in England. And I don't think people here really believe it. They just, yeah. like, no know of it's it. like a cultural legend. Okay. Um, like a... You know a fun yeah. thing that they like to think about yeah. um and it actually gets becomes really famous and like really takes hold and gets widespread um in all of england because the poet william blake writes a poem about it in oh. the year
0: 1808
1: yeah the poem is the called it i have part of it yeah okay uh so the poem is called and did those feet in ancient time it's a terrible name for a poem <laughs> uh, but the poem itself is like kind of famous but most english people today know it because the poem gets put to music and is now considered a hymn oh gotcha uh the hymn is called jerusalem i'm going to read you the first uh first verse okay so quote and did those feet in ancient time walk upon england's mountain green and was the holy lamb of god on england's pastures pleasant scene And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem built here among these dark satanic mills? I love that he references that it's cloudy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I love that it's posed as a question. And the answer to all of those questions
1: is no. (laughs) Yep. Do you want to know a fun personal fact about this hymn? Sure. Uh, so when I got married last year, uh-huh. my husband is British, and he got to pick a hymn
2: for our Catholic
1: mass wedding. This is the yep, yeah, this is the hymn he picked. This is the hymn we walked out of our wedding to, because it's like a really famous like they mm-hmm. sing it at soccer games and like the Olympics, yeah. and it's just like the hymn for England. Oh. Okay, it's really famous. Uh, if you if you look it up on YouTube, you've probably heard, heard the tune it, at yeah. least, even if you don't know the, the words. words. Yeah. Yeah. So. When William Blake wrote this in 1808, like, clearly there's already a tradition that Jesus yeah. was in England at some point. Yeah. Um, and then this, this hymn, like, really blows it up right? Um, and spreads it to the whole country. So most English people nowadays would have this, like, sort of vague idea that there's a tradition that Somebody Jesus thought, was in England. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so this story of Joseph of Arimathea being in England and specifically in or around Glastonbury, you know, it just... It gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> these continues. continues. Since there's like no real reason why they think this, there's like no yeah. explanation for how this happened. There's no uh, evidence they, in any way. <laughs> yeah. There's no evidence. There's no like specific thing that they can point to and be like, they got the idea from this. this? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of scholars today think that the monks at Glastonbury just entirely made it up to draw pilgrims and money and stuff. Sounds about right. Which is funny. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs>
0: or like did they like did somebody have a vision and then they misinterpreted the
2: vision
1: I mean you would I mean there must be a reason right but if they if there was something like that you'd think somebody would know that some guy had a vision and like even though that's not really evidence at least it's an explanation for where this came from they don't really seem to have an explanation for why Joseph of Arimathea specifically was here
0: yeah I also would not put Boston for it to just be like recruitment tactic Yep. yep. Yeah, I think
1: that's most likely. Yeah. Uh, one of the Cornish folk tales that sort of still perpetuates is that not only did Joseph come to Britain with baby Jesus, not baby Jesus, but like little kid Jesus, Child um, and that while he was there, he taught the Britons how to mine tin, because like tin mining is one of the main like economic exports of Sorry. Cornwall and like did Southwest Jesus,
0: Did Jesus teach them that, or did no Jesus-
1: Joseph of Arimathea okay. did. Um, because they like they kind of think that Joseph oh, of Arimathea sorry. was a tin merchant for some reason. Um, I mean, he could have been that's a merchant
0: because like, he was probably I mean, wealthy. Sure. I
1: don't know if they have tin in the Levant, though.
0: Yeah,
1: no, no, idea. I mean, but maybe <laughs> yeah. he was
0: a different kind of miner.
1: Well, it's not just that they he taught them how to mine, but there's some like um, clarification stuff you need to do to tin to make it usable that he also taught them how to do, which is specific to tin. <laughs> but I just think that's very funny. Cause tin is like the classic like industry of Southwest England. Uh, and so this, like we learned it from Joseph of Arimathea, which is very funny. And also Jesus was just there. <laughs> and also Jesus was just bouncing about. Yeah. Like little baby Jesus as like a 10 year old or something. Yeah. yeah. He's hitching. A, he's following around his uncle, Joseph who's uh-huh. learning about tin mines, uh, which is funny. That's hilarious. Uh, so one of these stories is that not only does he come to England um and set up the church at glastonbury but some of the stories say that he brings some stuff with him uh and the main thing one of the things i think he people think that he brought with him was some vials of jesus's blood and sweat don't know why he would bring that exactly why would he think to bring that yeah i don't know um but that's one of the things that they're like wait but also if jesus is with him (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So some of the stories what? say that he came when Jesus was a kid. Okay. Some um, and then some of the stories are say that he was one of the post death extra seventy apostles right. who's like sent out. to okay. You know to do that so. would
0: be really awkward if you're like with Jesus the child
1: <laughs> and giving right? away his child. And, and, then, sweat, and his Jesus and sweat. is
0: like, "What are you doing? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's a ten year old. It doesn't understand. <laughs> which is why we yeah. have no stories about him as a ten year old
1: because. yeah Awkward. <laughs> ten year olds are dumb. Yeah. yeah. yep uh yeah so this story you know it's bad enough that they for some reason think that joseph of arimathea founded the church at glastonbury um but then in the sort of late 12th to early 13th century a french poet makes the whole thing worse Ah, (laughs) so there's this guy named (laughs) yep there's this guy named robert de baron he's a french poet okay uh probably around the year Twelve hundred, he writes this poem called Joseph d'Aramathie. So Joseph of Arimathea in French.
2: Makes
1: sense. Uh, And they don't. I guess they don't have the full text of this poem anymore. Like a lot of it's been lost. uh, But they have like little chunks and bits of it. All right. Uh, But in the bits they have, for some reason, Joseph of Arimathea. uh, So he's at the crucifixion, right? Uh huh. And they say that when he is at the crucifixion, he uses the Holy Grail. To collect some of some drops of Jesus's blood, okay, like dripping from him off the cross. Where does he carries- get
0: the Grail? I don't know exactly. Okay, <laughs> and then
1: and then he carries the Grail from the Levant to Averon or Avalon, oh, uh, which is a historic semi legendary name for the Glastonbury Southwest England area. Okay, first of
0: all, the whole problem. Yes with the grail stuff is that almost certainly because that meal was just in like some lady's
1: upper room yeah it's just in some random house
0: just somebody that one of the disciples knew and when he says go and prepare a yeah, table there like they're some like,
1: disciples aunt or something yeah <laughs>
0: they're like i got to find a room
1: <laughs> yeah
0: and they're like <clears throat> like ma or like aunt whoever can i use this yeah. room and she's like just don't make a mess don't break yeah. anything And so, certainly. And also, don't steal my cups. Don't steal my cups. Those cups were just like her cups. Like, yeah. So, like, the Holy Grail, she probably just kept it and kept using it because why would they take her cup?
1: Yeah. The thing about the Holy Grail is that we now have a very strong understanding from like movies and TV and stuff that the Holy Grail is the cup from the Last Supper. Right. Uh, But that, okay, first of all, that concept of that cup mattering at all is medieval. Um, like nobody gave a shit about it when the time Jesus died (laughs) Yeah, and also yeah it's not always it's actually not in the oldest records it's not always the cup they drank from at the last supper sometimes it's just a cup like a random cup that was used to collect drops of his blood from the crucifixion so more like this story of Joseph of Arimathea has a random cup and it becomes the holy grail because he uses it to collect the blood
0: you know that actually makes Um, a lot more sense I believe that one more. It does. That lady would not have let you take her cups.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so in this poem by Robert De Baron, he says that he uses this cup to collect Jesus's blood. And then for some reason he carries it to Avalon, which is Southwest England. Don't right. know why. This guy's well, a poet, right? So he's just making this he's up. He's just
0: making this up. But in theory, you know, if you did have that cup that you collected Jesus blood, you probably would keep it and take it. Probably, with yeah. You. you just carry <laughs> so it around. that... Yeah. I think you probably. It also would kind have of fits with of your like, life.
1: <laughs> yeah, that kind of fits with the stories of that Joseph brings vials of blood and sweat. Yeah, like they don't mean vials; they mean like he has a bowl, a holy grail bowl of blood and sweat, right? Like that. Well, kind he's of, got
0: like a clay like flask that's sealed because you can't yeah, just carry yeah. a bowl. To,
1: to yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, there's no reason why. Robert de Baron would think that Joseph of Arimathea had a grail or brought it to Britain um but he writes it in his poem cuz he's a he's a poet right he's, he's just telling poet. stories he's just making shit um, up as writers do mm-hmm. so this legend continues to proliferate yep. uh cuz you know the monks at Glastonbury have already completely made up a story about <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea so they really latch on to this yep um <laughs> So the story goes on to say that he brings the Grail to the Glastonbury area and hides it. Specifically, they think he hid it in the well at Glastonbury, um, like in the Abbey. And that well is now called the Chalice Well. Um, It's protected as like a historic site in England and you can go visit it and stuff. Sure. A well. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, Sure. If you
0: were a holy guy at a church that theoretically either you and or Jesus built... Uh why would she put it in the well why wouldn't it be like at the altar
1: i think there's they're hiding it i'm not sure why who they're hiding it from right but they specifically says he hides it in the well
0: why would you do that rather
1: than that they keep it in the well yeah
0: because like i mean unless you know there's i mean there's persecutions a lot but
1: i could see i could see them moving it to the well later to hide it from the The, reformation or the the romans or like other things but But why would you need to hide it yeah, why yeah. would you need to hide it as soon as he arrives in the year 50 or whatever? You would that just give
0: it to the monks.
1: Yeah, and they would just put it somewhere nice. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. Uh, some of these legends, as a side note, say that it was Joseph's son rather than Joseph himself who does these things. Um, that yeah, makes more sense. Most, most often. Most often <laughs> it is just Joseph, so we're just going to skate right past it, that.
0: If it is a relative, that would be a Jos- or uh, Jesus's
1: cousin. Yep, something like that. Uh, Jesus's first cousin once removed or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So this Robert de Baron guy publishes this poem in around the year 1200. uh, And then John of Glastonbury, who's like a monk historian guy in Glastonbury, who's alive in the 14th century. He publishes a history of Glastonbury Cathedral and Glastonbury Abbey, where he treats this legend of Joseph bringing the grail to Glastonbury as a fact and not as a legend. Like he just includes it in his history of the church. Quote unquote history. Yeah. So it's now part of history. Right. Um, So he he doesn't actually use the word grail in his story. He says vessels, plural. Grail. Grail! Vessels makes more sense. That had Jesus' blood and sweat in them. Um, And in this, uh, John of Glastonbury does a fun thing, which continues to proliferate the legends, Uh that uh, Joseph of Arimathea is listed in the made-up pedigree for King Arthur as, like, a (laughs) great-great-grandfather. So That's the great.
0: implication that, uh, either that he, th- well, in that theory, uh, he goes there after Jesus's death and then has more children as an old man. <laughs> yeah,
1: apparently. Um, <laughs> so this kind of is how the grail, the Holy Grail gets like tied into Arthurian legends. Yes. Um, so if you don't know, King Arthur is almost certainly fictional. Yes. But they're not totally positive that he's fictional yes <laughs> there's like a 10 percent chance that he's not fictional
0: isn't there um, like
1: one early like possible
0: early king that it could be
1: yes there are various like various scholars are like maybe this person is king arthur or like the or, inspiration like, for it yeah. yes or like king arthur probably lived but his records got wiped out by later conquering yeah. armies like it's it's very dicey so he's right. probably fictional
0: and the what we're talking about is like The person, the people he might be are so much older than when the stories pop up in the Middle Ages, right? Yeah. It's like way before. So it's already like distorted. And that's why Mm -hmm. it's very unclear. So
1: as just like a background, we've talked about the history of England and the Roman colonization and Christianity in England and stuff before that the Romans come in in, like, the year 40, I think. So not that long after Jesus dies and conquer Britain, and then they hang out in Britain for a while. Uh And then, you know, after Constantine takes over and Christianizes with the Roman Empire, the Romans bring Christianity to England, Uh uh, sort of in the mid to late 300s. But then right around the year 400, the Romans pull out of Britain, they leave, they go away, which means Christianity doesn't, like, really get driven in super hard that first time, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why... um, Augustine turns up in back, around the yeah, year 600 later. to like bring it all back and if you remember when we talked about Augustine we said that there were some Christians left in sort of southwestern Britain yes, who had been kind of carrying on and yes. they, those bishops like come to meet Constantine mm-hmm. and he they're the ones who are pissed because he doesn't stand up
0: yeah Constantine he's the one who then has to be like okay we gotta like actually there's a couple people we have to like consolidate like you gotta re- readjust, like, go back to what you're actually supposed to be doing, because nobody's mm-hmm. paying attention to you for, like, a billion years. So, <laughs> like, figure it out again.
1: So those bishops we talked about in the Augustine story came from Wales and Cornwall and sort of southwest Britain, which is the part of the island that the Romans never quite, quite got a hold of, and also that the Anglo-Saxons who came in just after the Romans leave, they also never quite get their fingers into the southwest part of the country, which includes Wales and Cornwall and Devon.
0: Why were they Christian then?
1: The, uh, the southwest peoples? It's because they're part of the group, oh. like, the Romans kind of Christianized okay. the island, like, they did have, yeah. you know, a couple of decades to work on it. Right. Um, and so they did get it to that part of the island. Okay. Uh, but then the Anglo-Saxons come in just after the Romans leave, and the Anglo-Saxons aren't really Christian, so most of, like, the eastern half of the island goes back to pagan stuff, stuff, right. and forgets about the Roman Christianity, yes. but the western people who don't get infected by the Anglo-Saxons so Just much kind of hold on to it a bit better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's who King Arthur is. King Arthur is the king of the Britons with an O. Arthur!
2: King of the Britons!
1: Yes. The Britons are the indigenous peoples of the island who are mainly who mostly get wiped out by the Romans, mm-hmm. but who kind of hang on in the southwest side of the country, so in Wales, Cornwall, Devon. Yes. So he is the king of the Britons over there. Theoretically, yeah. They say that he, yep, they say that he ruled from, like, in, like, the 5th or 6th century. Who does he think he is? I'm your king! Well, I didn't vote for you! Um, which is kind of when the Anglo-Saxons are really, like, gripping into the other half of the island. Right. Uh, and he he is said to fight against the Anglo-Saxon kingdom, so, like, Wessex, Essex, Sussex, Kent, those kinds of people. That's who King Arthur is fighting against
0: and that is like 6 or 700s and then the stories about king arthur don't pop up until when
1: uh, so he's more like the 4 or 500s oh sorry 4 or 500s so he's like yeah like 400 to 600 kind of range Okay. Um, and then the legends about him don't crop up until like the year 1000 yeah. 1100 maybe so you know. and that's
0: why you end up with like question marks cuz people it was it was people like idolizing a like story like, historical story, mm-hmm. like, hero guy in the 1100s, and then it just gets worse in the next 900 years. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's who King Arthur is, right? He is the ruler of the Britons with an O who are stuck in just the one side of this island. Uh-huh. Um, and since Glastonbury is part of this, like, Britain realm, uh-huh. um, the fact that they theoretically have the Holy Grail there somewhere. <laughs> gets tied into King Arthur too. Yep. And they're like, What kind of thing would King Arthur do? He would go look for the Grail. Yes. He would try to find it and take
0: care of it and stuff. And to like improve his his, his uh Christianizing of
1: stuff. Yep. Yeah. So um one of the main like quests and storylines of the King Arthur legends is that he is questing for the Grail. What? he got a
2: quest to seek the Holy Grail
1: yeah he's so it pops up like various stories like there's a there's a story about the knight galahad who sees a vision of joseph of arimathea like handing him the grail
2: no grail here i have seen it i have seen it
1: uh the knight yep the knight percival i guess is kind of invented as a way to introduce the grail. Like Percival's main personal quest is to find the grail and then Percival gets attached to the rest of the court and it kind of becomes the court's quest as a whole. Okay, interesting. Uh, In some of these Arthurian legends, uh, so like we talked about, sometimes the cup is the one from the Last Supper. Sometimes it's just the one that catches the blood. Okay. In some of the Arthurian legends, it gets confused even more and they think of it as like a gemstone sent to earth from God. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's which uh, okay <laughs> you might have heard of before because in in the TV show Stargate SG one huh? the evil Ori lady uh-huh. is searching for the Grail and in that the Grail is a gemstone that they steal from the dragon they call it the Sangral, I think oh. which is, which means Holy Grail
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i read that on wikipedia huh. and i'm like where have i heard that the holy grail is it's a gemstone, a gemstone before? <laughs> <laughs> i was like i know i've heard this somewhere it's the, from the cult the cult classic cult sci-fi classic. Yep, cult classics stargate, stargate sg1 one. <laughs> yep
0: weird i uh, to be fair i missed most of the Ori episodes because you would watch them before i get home from school so did not know that
1: well check it out it's a top tier <laughs> episode um, because they fight a dragon at the end. Ah, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Uh, so this thing about the Holy Grail being related to Joseph of Arimathea and King Arthur and Southwest England, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> it's, it comes from nowhere, but it's real strong now. And those Glastonbury monks really spread it around good. Um, so nowadays, if you are interested. Okay. They have a cup. That some people think is the Holy Grail. Um, it is now it now lives in Aberystwyth, which is a city in Wales. Okay, so over in that part of the country, it's called the Nantios Cup. Uh, yeah, and they you know they think it is the one that Joseph brings, the one that King Arthur was looking for. It's not. Uh, unfortunately, it does not crop <laughs> up in records until the late eighteen hundreds, which is so late, like not even the Middle Ages. Uh, like so, one hundred and fifty years ago. <laughs> Like, cars are coming fast. There are trains. Yep.
0: Bicycles. Queen Victoria
1: is almost dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and the, so, yeah. So oh, that's not that's probably hilarious. not real. Um, well,
0: it's also just not because Joseph Ther- the I was never in England. Like,
1: And also didn't have the Holy Grail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, well, mean, not not Well, I mean, he true. might
0: have had a cup. That's, I mean, maybe. Uh, I could even see it being like, he just had like a little, like, cup that like he just carried like everybody kind of carried around a cup or Mm -hmm. a ladle or something to drink water with um and then somebody conflating that into like well this must be the grail because he was carrying around a cup and it being old enough Mm -hmm. but it's not the grail because certainly it's not the grail um but it's not even old enough so like that doesn't even and also it doesn't matter because he was never in england so
1: yep anyway (laughs) uh the nantios cup fun fact uh it got stolen in 2014 i think 2015 maybe Rip. Um and then when they recovered it they moved it to like the National Library in yeah. Wales <laughs> to keep it safe, which is funny. That is funny. Uh there are some references in the writings of Elizabeth the First. Okay. Um and she uses so she Daughter of Anne Boleyn. Yeah, daughter of Anne Boleyn and Henry the Eighth. So Henry the breaks England away from the Roman Catholic Church, right? Yes. And starts the Church of England. Yes. That's like his whole thing. So you can get a divorce. Yes. So Elizabeth I is kind of, like, the first solidly not-Catholic ruler of England. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, so she's kind of dealing with, like, the remnants of Catholicism and, like, dismantling that power structure and stuff, you know? And she uses the Grail legends from the Glastonbury area as evidence that the Church of England predates the Roman Catholic Church in England that like Joseph of Arimathea brought it before the Romans did because he was here in the year 60 or whatever yeah and she's like and therefore the Church of England is older than the Roman Church mm. because it, the Roman Church doesn't start yeah. until you know Peter dies
0: I mean that sounds like a technicality it sounds like you're still the same thing because <laughs> yes and people also started the same thing. Yes, That's and
1: also funny. he definitely wasn't in England. Right, yeah, so, so. <laughs>
0: ignoring that fact. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, but apparently she uses it like, this legend because people are kind of treating it as history, right? Not as a right, legend. Yeah, this um, so right, yeah. So she's like, so this is proof that the Church of England is yeah. is the right valid Church. and righteous. Yeah, yeah the, the true Church of England, yeah. which is funny. All right. Uh, no. The Glastonbury monks uh, describe some other, like, random miracles that are attributed to or around Joseph of Arimathea. The most famous of which is called the Glastonbury Glastonbury Thorn. Mm. So there's a story that when Joseph is in Glastonbury, he like settles down to, to sleep one night on a hill.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when he lays his like walking stiff, walking stick staff thing down, the wood like takes root and grows into a tree overnight. Um, so. Um, <laughs>
0: uh, but- so like... Obviously, you know, some sort of, like, divine intervention, but why?
1: <laughs> why does Great God question. care? <laughs> uh, so, don't know why God cares. I do know why the, um, why the old-timey people would need a miraculous explanation. Okay. Because the trees in this part of Somerset, which is the county that Glastonbury's in, okay. I guess they have this unusual kind of hawthorn tree, it's like a specific subspecies of hawthorn trees, that flowers biannually. So, twice. like, it flowers twice a year. Yeah, it does it in the winter, and then it does it again in the spring, which is odd. Um, and they're just, you know, they're just indigenous to this part of England, but people thought that was weird. And weird. so they say that his tree, his staff grows into one of these hawthorn trees, which is where these trees came from.
0: Is the is the connection, like, that it blooms around Christmas and then it blooms again around Easter?
1: Yeah, something like that. Um, I also think it's just that it's it's weird that it blooms twice. Well, yeah. I think it must be a sign from God somehow. Um, so the, they had, like, for a long time, they had, like, the tree, yeah. like, the Glastonbury Thorn, um, which was on this hill, um, near the city. Okay. And this tree is getting, like, like, pilgrims and devotions and donations and, like, stuff. You know, it's got this sacred symbolism. I bet people touch it too much. Probably. Well, it's dead now.
0: Well, yeah, uh, but because I bet people... it was,
1: it's not even there anymore. It was cut down in the 1640s during the English Civil War because it was... The Civil War wasn't totally about religion, but it was kind of about, like, the divine right of kings and stuff. And so religious symbols kind of get... Yeah. They, they don't get caught up in it in the same way that they do in the Reformation. Right. The Tutor, the Henry VIII Reformation, but they do kind of, like, they have some problems in the English Civil War, too. Um, and so it, in the 1640s during the Civil War, this tree gets cut down because it's a symbol of religious ideas. Okay. Uh, but since then, well, before they got cut down, and since then, there had been, like, propagation cuttings made of it. Right. So there are other trees that are the Glastonbury thorn, quote unquote, in other parts of the country. Genetically.
0: Glastonbury thorn. Yep, yep.
1: Genetically, they're the same tree. And they have this fun tradition, which I think they still do, where the mayor of Glastonbury, they, like, take a cutting of the tree every year and send huh. it to the monarch. I think they still do that. I think it's, like, a Christmas thing. Huh. Um, But so, yeah, so there's still there's still one in Glastonbury that's like the tree, like one of the oldest versions. And I think there's another manor house somewhere that also has a very old one Hmm. uh, that's a cutting of the original tree. Weird. Yep. Uh, And then there's one more legend, which is odd. Uh, So sometimes instead of Joseph of Arimathea being this like sort of apostle, Apostle's Apostle, who comes to spread Christianity. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes he is described instead as the Wandering Jew. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of a plant called a Wandering Jew. I bet it comes from this. Yeah. So the Wandering Jew is another medieval European legend, Uh uh, which does not go back far enough to be probably true, but is a very strong legend. (laughs) Um, And the legend is that as Jesus is walking through Jerusalem to Calgary Hill, like through the crowd, you know? Yeah. Um, some Jewish man in the crowd is mocking him. Like, they're all kind of mocking him. But yeah. there's a specific man who says something that really
2: piques his attention. Or hurts.
1: Yes. <laughs> atten- <laughs> draws Jesus' attention. Uh-huh. Um, and Jesus curses him. Oh, no. Uh, to wander the earth until the second coming. Like, he becomes immortal and he's just going to have to live oh, forever yeah. until the second coming. Yes. And so, for some reason, some somehow the legend of this wandering Jew gets linked to Joseph of Arimathea, and people think that he is the wandering Jew. That doesn't
0: make any sense.
1: No, it doesn't, because all the gospel Most yeah. of the records say that he was, like, sort of an apostle, like a background right. follower of Jesus. He's not some guy yelling at him on the street. Right. Uh, but he does somehow get tied to the wandering Jew. Okay.
0: Paula, because he was a Jew and
1: maybe wandered a little bit? Yeah, maybe... Uh, there's some, there's, like, one story of, like, this is possibly where it comes from, but, like, it's not very strong. Uh, so there's another abbey and monastery cathedral in England that's also one of, like, the very old original ones. Okay. It's called St. Albans. Um, it's actually, it's Mm -hmm. so old and famous that St. Albans is now the name of a major suburb of London. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have a cathedral, they have stuff. um, Yes. Um. It's actually where some of our family lives, fun fact. Yes. And so they say that the monks in St. Albans, when it was a monastery in around the year 1230, Uh they are hosting like an Armenian bishop or archbishop has like come to visit and do theological stuff. Uh Uh, And they're chatting to him while he's visiting. And he... They're asking him about Joseph of Arimathea, probably because the monks down the road in Glastonbury are making these crazy claims about Joseph of Arimathea <sighs> being in Glastonbury, and the monks in Saint Albans are like, "Why don't we get a cool, yeah, cool thing? Why did he go to Glastonbury?" And so they're asking this Armenian bishop about Joseph of Arimathea, and the bishop, archbishop, says something about having met the wandering Jew in armenia and it being joseph of arimathea like he says it's joseph of arimathea and that he currently lives in armenia which is certainly not true probably yep definitely not uh but apparently this archbishop tells this same story like he's kind of on a tour right like he he goes lots of places as he's traveling around europe he doesn't just go to england to come back because armenia is hella far away and i guess he tells the same story to some people in italy On this trip. That he has, like, met the wandering Jew. Or, like, not necessarily that he has met him, but he, like, knows of him, knows where he lives. And that he is Joseph of Arimathea. So, like, maybe that's where this story comes from? I suppose. Like, sure. It's a strange thing for this person to make up at random.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So that story kind of propagates around England. It doesn't, like, take hold in England the same way that the... Holy Grail, Glass and Buried, King Arthur right. stuff does, um, but it is kind of like vaguely a thing. It's not as fun. Yeah, uh, the Wandering Jew pops up kind of a lot, actually. Like, if you're interested, you can go look at the Wikipedia page, and it's just like lists and lists of books yeah. and movies and poems and you know, sightings and stuff about the Wandering Jew. He's not always Joseph of Arimathea; sometimes he's just somebody else. Yeah, <laughs>
0: there's uh, the plant I was talking about. It's like a type of wandering that a lot of people have as like house plants. And it's got, you know, normal names that, you know, I can look it
1: up, but there, it's, it is also sometimes called. Yes. Well, uh, so that's, that's the wandering Jew. Apparently sightings of the wandering Jew have like popped up pretty regularly through history, in just various places. <laughs> so they, I wouldn't say that they have like credible sources or like credible sightings of the wandering Jew, because he's probably not real, right? So you can't have a credible sighting of somebody who's not real. Correct. But they have, like, more credible sightings of, like, he, you know, in, in 1530, he was in this city. and uh-huh. 1580, he was in this yeah. other, you know, they're, like, they're like, tracking him through history. Right. Um, and the last, like, sort of, again, I don't want to say agreed upon because he's not real. Um, <laughs> but, like, the last, quote, unquote, agreed upon sighting was in 1868 in New Jersey. What? Which is fun. Well, he just wanders, right? Like, and once they discover a new continent, like, just wander over there. has <laughs> nothing else to do. Um, so weird. So yeah, that's the okay. wandering Jew, who sometimes is Joseph of Arimathea, but mostly is not, not. Joseph of Arimathea. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the story of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh-huh. He's mostly he's just a possible relative of Jesus who donated a tomb. Like, that's really what Joseph of Arimathea did. Right. That's yeah. kind of it. Like, that's the bit that's probably true, and... Yes, because
0: he ended up in a tomb
1: somehow. So somebody gave him. Yes, Um, came from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like the women probably didn't take his body down. Probably not. Somebody else did it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the real part, and then all of the founding the church in England. Not at all true. Probably not true. Holy Grail thing. Probably not true. true. King Arthur stuff. Not true. Probably not true. (laughs) Um, The other thing he does, which is kind of fun, because we've talked about. um, I mentioned briefly ages ago, uh, was that, uh, Joseph of Arimathea gives the sword of St. Peter, which we talked about during the St. Peter episode is like one of the possible relics. Yes. Um, the one he stabs, uh, P- St. Peter stabs the, um, the cuts guy in the, 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 the ear garden off. of the cemetery yeah. with. Yeah. Cuts the ear off with that sword. When we were talking about St. Peter, we mentioned that somehow Joseph of Arimathea got hold of that sword and then took it to Glastonbury and gave it to... Arthur! Do you remember? Nope, not Uh, Arthur. Somebody else who definitely was not in England. St. George, who killed the dragon. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Right, who's, like,
0: not at all related to England.
1: So Joseph of Arimathea and St. George together, two people who almost certainly were never in England, Uh, but that's that's Is that
0: also not related to, like, Excalibur? that Excalibur is like also I mean, a probably. holy relic? I sort. think it's
1: like a cultural trope of like a holy sword. Yeah. And that, you know, kind of gets shifted sideways into Excalibur and the, the sword from the lake and stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a fun link that he took, Joseph of Arimathea took Peter's sword yes. and gave it to St. George in Glastonbury. Who was not? Which didn't There. None of those things happened. No. Yep. <laughs> Except for, to be fair, Peter might have cut that guy's ear off. Oh, yeah. That might have happened. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Considering that they talk about it a lot. Uh, It's also theoretically possible that uh, the Joseph of Arimathea did give it to George, but not in England. In wherever George was.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Also the Levant. (laughs) Why would he have it? Why would he give it to George? George was kind of a nobody. We talked about that. We talked about George. He's like, he's nothing special. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, yeah, that's the legend of Joseph of Arimathea. He is still a Catholic saint. Like, he has not been declassified, probably because the part about Everybody, him, the yeah. part that's probably true, is which is the helping out Jesus's body, yes. is important enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was never officially canonized, right? He, yeah. uh, he just is a saint. Um, he just was never removed. <laughs> yep. For a long time, he had his feast day on March 17th in the Roman Catholic calendar, Um, But when they tidied things up uh, in the last hundred years, they moved him. So now he's on August 31st and he shares that day with Nicodemus, which is the guy that helped him possibly Okay, take Jesus' body down. Makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, So that's for Catholics, Roman Catholics. Uh, In the Eastern Catholic Church, which we have talked about is like a subset of the Roman Catholic Church. Yep. Um, It's on July 31st. uh, In the anglican derivative churches which is not the church of england but churches that grew out of the church of england such as episcopal churches okay they have it on august 1st okay oddly the church of england like the official church of england does not list him a specific day which is odd especially since he theoretically Um, did a
0: lot for the church of england yeah you
1: yeah you would think think he would be uh, pretty important Okay. Yeah, I guess he's not on their formal calendar, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, his feast day is the third Sunday after Easter, so it moves around. Okay. That makes sense, because. Uh, yep. Easter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe that's the first day after Easter. That's not already something else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. Because, so, yeah. <laughs> like, his feast day should probably. No, his feast day should be Good Thursday, or Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday, yeah because that's when he presumably takes the body takes down. Takes the body down, yeah. Mhm. But that uh, his son yeah, you can't have that. It's busy. Uh, his patronages are funeral directors and undertakers, I think because of the, like, <laughs> embalming Jesus's body. Which, stuff. honestly, makes a lot more sense than a lot of them. I just it does, sunny. yes. Uh, yes, and he's also the patron of Glastonbury because everyone's confused. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yep. And then the last thing of how, how most people, I think, especially non-Christians, know about Joseph of Arimathea today, I thing we were talking about at the beginning, it is because in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Grail. They find, yep, <laughs> they're they in the cave. Yes. Uh, and they find the carving on the wall, and the carving says that it was supposedly carved by Joseph of Arimathea, oh, and right. it tells them that the Holy Grail can be found in the castle of uh. Ah. <laughs> it reads, here may be found the last words of Joseph
0: of Arimathea. He who is valiant... And pure of spirit, may find the Holy Grail in the castle
1: of. Uh. And then they have that little argument about whether or not that's yeah. the name of the castle or the sound he made while he was dying. Why would he carve it? <laughs> he
0: would carve. Yes. Ah. Look, if he was dying, he wouldn't bother to carve. You ah. just say it. You just say it. <laughs> 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 mm hmm. Ah, oh, that's where it is. I was like somewhere in my brain. I was like, there is one of them saying Joseph of Arimathea that I don't. Yeah, know I think why. that's.
1: I think that's mostly where it comes from. Um, and also one of the like little people in their troupe that oh. follows them around in their little entourage in that movie is a guy called Brother Maynard. Brother Maynard, you're a scholar. Yeah. Who I believe is supposed to be a monk from Glastonbury. And, okay, and he's the one who reads the <laughs> who reads the thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so that's uh. That is Joseph of Arimathea, who kind of pops up accidentally, kind of on the sides of things in other stories. That was a delight. He's a he's a top-tier saint, because he's like, probably actually did something that's actually important and real, and then it gets completely overshadowed by, by random bullshit. I do like the idea of him being Jesus' relative. That is interesting to me, because you hear so little about Jesus' family other than his parents.
0: Yeah. And it is one of those. It fits in as one of those historical things of like at the time the people were like, yeah, Yeah, obviously
1: we don't need to explain that this person is a relative of Jesus because of course he is. Yeah, and it's just like you you never think about his family and like of course he had cousins, like of course you know he had he played with other children who were his cousins, yeah siblings and possibly a wife and children of his own and like you just never hear about them which is interesting.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah, Joseph of Arimathea. Thank you. Oh, great job. (laughs) uh we will post some pictures and things of joseph of Arimathea and his associated items on our instagram the handle is at martyr and monk mm-hmm. um check out monty python and the holy grail yes do that if you can uh do all the podcast things
0: like subscribe rate review etc on whatever podcast platform you use that would be great
1: uh and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with somebody else
0: okay bye